Hi, and welcome to Mind Your P's, the Purposeful Leader's Guide. We believe in all the P's, people, purpose, planet, even pizza and Prosecco. Our guest today is James Taylor, a former music manager and keynote speaker. He speaks globally, inspiring people internationally to unlock and harness their creativity. James, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me onto the show. Great, great to be with you today. James, just tell us a bit about, about you, about your purpose, your personal purpose and, and your career background, really, that led you to where you are now. Uh, so my purpose, which I kind of write down most days, my little kind of morning journal, is to unlock the creative potential in a billion people, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous purpose to have, um, but that's what okay. it is. It's, so my, my purpose has always been, it's always basically been about really helping other people um, really find their their true kind of creativity and be able to unlock and unleash that creativity. I just more recently, about a few years ago, I decided to put a number on it so it could be a bit more tracked. <laughs> I guess the, so the that, big that's hairy goal. Purpose. It's a, certainly a big hairy goal. And I thought, okay, well, so but it's interesting because when you make goals like that, the brain starts to think about ways to how is it possible to achieve that and so that's led me to do uh, like this morning I was saying to you like I was speaking at 3 30 a.m for clients in China um, and uh, because you need to then speak to countries that have larger numbers of people in them as well so uh, which is great you know virtual is, is brilliant so my, my background um, I started off my father was a as a mu- jazz musician my grandfather is a jazz was a jazz musician my wife is a jazz musician and initially, I started out as a jazz musician when I first left school. I was a, a jazz drummer touring around the world. But I also, I kind of knew that something was kind of missing. I love being on the stage and connecting with audiences in that way. But I also love business. And I love the deal making and everything that's kind of around the world of doing business. So I decided to kind of make a little bit of a move into the world of artist management. And I started managing a number of different artists, initially within the fields that I knew within jazz, classical music, folk music. And then um, uh, I started managing some more kind of pop artists. So started managing uh, Ricky Ross, uh, who's a Scottish uh, composer, uh, songwriter. And then from there, uh, he then asked me to start managing uh, the band that he was a member of, uh, Deacon Blue. So then I, for many years, for about 10 years, I was the manager of uh, Deacon Blue and to them all over the, the place and I had a lot of kind of success with that band. And then around 2010, I was kind of getting a bit bored again. And I was loving the fact I was able to help these artists to really achieve their creative dreams and their visions. And that's, it was a you know, joy doing that. But uh, I decided that I wanted to just try something else. And, and at that point, you know, I'd been interested in technology for a while. And the opportunity came up for me to move to California to work in kind of Silicon Valley and technology. And I really kind of saw that as a way that I could have more of an impact. And that at that point in the world of technology, uh, there was the rise of the MOOCs, the massive open online courses. And online learning was becoming much more of a thing. And so I moved to California to really be involved in the heart of the growth around online learning and involved in a company um, that uh, I think we launched 30 online schools uh, in about, of course, about three years. And so now when you see things like Masterclass online, a lot of that kind of came from the ideas, some of the organizations that, that I was involved in. And then did that for you know a number of years. Uh, was getting a bit bored again. Kind of uh, done that. We'd had huge impact 
in that. But um, I said she wanted a bit of a change. It was it was time to kind of move on to a new thing. So my wife and I, we gave ourselves a year out. Um, I decided to exit that company and uh, I, I couldn't really kind of compete in that same industry for, for a little while. So I decided to like, okay, what do we want to do for a year? We've got a year to kind of decide what we want to do. So we, um, we moved up from California up to Vancouver and we got a base in Vancouver and we basically spent the year that we had uh, our, our core base was in Vancouver, which is a great city, but then we spent the whole winter in Chiang Mai in Northern Thailand. Um, and then we spent the summer in Italy and then we were also back in, in Scotland for a little bit as well. And we called it about a, a year of adventure, a year of madness. And uh, it was just great to allow you to kind of press a bit of a reset on your life and think like, what is important what do we want to do and at that point I remember seeing a speaker you know when I was probably 14 years of age at the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow um, and his name was Edward de Bono and Edward de Bono spoke about creativity and Edward's style was very like a university professor I think he was a Cambridge Don and so it was, it was a kind of more formal style but you know there was there was no um, fireworks in his presentation style, but his ideas were really kind of illuminating. But then I'd also done a little bit with like people like Tony Robbins. And so I, I kind of saw that world, which is the more the bigger style, the kind of style which I kind of know from the world of entertainment, where you have big shows, lots of trucks, you know, the whole kind of thing. And so I wanted to find myself somewhere in the middle of those two places from that kind of entertainment style, something's a little bit more kind of serious. So at that point, I said, okay, I'm going to be a keynote speaker, a global keynote speaker, traveling and around the world speaking. Didn't know anyone that did that. Um, but I knew that this was my next stage that I wanted in order to help others to think about their creativity and unlock their creativity and specifically to work with corporates. Um, I see that as the, the corporate world is really being a vehicle to get to as many people, to impact as many people, like the work that you do as well. So at that point, started speaking, and I think in you know, you know 2019, I think I did 50 keynotes, 25 countries. So everywhere from Bogota and Colombia, Ecuador, America, Canada, Beirut, uh, Saudi Arabia, all across Europe, Singapore, Thailand, like all over the place. And it was fantastic. I loved doing it. And then COVID hit, uh, and I said, okay, this is interesting now. And thankfully, because my background online, we were able to kind of pivot pretty quickly. And so now I'm actually busier than I've ever been because now I can give three keynotes in a day where back before in 2019, it would maybe take me, I could do me one keynote every three days because of the, the travel. So uh, it's opened up new possibilities. Yeah, what, what an incredible career and, and history, really, of, of your career, James. I, well, first of all, you know, I was just about to jump into song with Ricky Ross and uh, Ferguson. <laughs> well, I was going to say a Dundonian, but I actually think he's from Brody Ferry I'm, uh, originally. That's where I am. Ah, I see. Okay, he's a very <laughs> so, um, so that, you know, that, that really resonates. But really in, interested and fascinated to hear about the online learning schools mm. and you managing creative people and that the leadership space in that sector really um so you've obviously seen a lot of good bad and indifferent leaders in your in your time what what does purposeful leadership mean to you i think when it comes to um to leadership um there's that phrase you know the vibe your vibe attracts your tribe 
And, and I think it's okay to take a position. I know this is, things have been changing in recent years and, and organizations like Salesforce, for example, um, BrewDog, you know, from Scotland, much more willing to be more purpose-driven. And, you know, I, I, it was great. I remember doing my, when I did my MBA uh, years ago and, and being told, you know, the purpose of a company is to make profits. That's it. And then you give those profits, get distributed in dividends for the shareholders, and then they go and decide what they want to do, what the purpose is of that. But I think there's been this tr transition now, which is great, um, to leaders now saying we can actually we can do good by doing well. Um, and so in, in the case of kind of something what I do, um, purpose driven leadership is doing a number of things. You know, one is the purpose is very core to what we do around creativity and unlocking creativity of that. And we do it in a number of different ways. But also it's some of those side activities around. So, OK, well, you make money, but what do you want to do with that? as well. So I know in our case, like we're really passionate about animal rights and animal causes. So we support lots of different animal causes. And that's our way of kind of um, also doing that as, as well. And then at the same time, so that's me as a leader, but I'm leading others. And I need to work with them to figure out how can they align what their purpose is with our purpose as well. And that's the often some of the, the trickier part. It is. You know, it's the, it's getting that 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 alignment, and and that takes a while. And also the other thing with our team, uh, with the exception of myself and and one other person, all of our team is not in the UK. They're all in Asia, um, and the the style of management there, so the style of leadership there, is a, is a little bit more of an authoritarian style, and my personal style is a little bit more of a democratic style you would tend to see in, in, in UK companies or American companies. And that doesn't always match up. But then when you, you find that alignment and you can find, you know, and you work with your, whoever your, your team are, and you find like, you know, what is, what drives you? And it's going to be different for everyone. And then you can, well, how does that link to what we're doing? And there's different ways of doing that. Um, you know, we use things like OKRs, objectives and key results. So you can kind of bring that into it as well. Or you can, I think you can also just take the opinion that, you know, you give your team a certain amount of time to work on projects, which don't have a direct benefit to the business, but just kind of help feed that person's feed their soul, make them excited to, to go to work. And if there's spinoffs from that, they come into the business. Great. Yeah. If not, it's absolutely fine. Feed their soul is a is a brilliant phrase, and and I, I've I haven't actually heard the the vibe attracts your your tribe, James. I've not heard yeah. that one, so I, I'm going to use that. I love that. Um, you know, you've talked about creating a high performing functional unit where a team reaches a flow state when they work together. Mm. What what does that mean? Talk to us more about that, and and how would a leader go about creating that environment? Yeah, so, I mean, I think going back to my music days, if you think about it, I started my career being on stage and then I went backstage behind the scenes and then I've now come back on the stage again. So I'm kind of back on that. And uh, in, in jazz, in, in music, um, you have these really high performing teams. When you have a great jazz group, there is a lot of things that don't have to be said. There is a form, there is a structure that everyone's kind of working within. It's not chaos. It may sometimes sound like chaos, but it isn't chaos. But everyone's kind of like feeling what the other person's doing, reacting to what that person's doing as well. Everyone has very good technical skills. So I think that's that's the thing as, as well. And also 
you're you're trying to push people to see how far they can go with those skills. And sometimes it's as a, as a leader, as a manager, it's quite interesting for me to sometimes try and say, okay, well, you sense with someone, I think they, they've got more. I think there's something else there. So you can like push them towards that. Sometimes you put them into almost um, in music, you'd almost like put them, you'd play something quite complex in order for them to repeat, knowing that they might not necessarily know how they're going to get out of it. So you kind of almost like pose a, 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 a challenge in that way and it, it makes them perform. And and I always thought this was just something like, okay, it was like, this is something I see in great musicians, great bands, where they have that connection. There's an unspoken, you don't really have to speak. There's like that, you know, someone might be 30 feet from you on the stage, but there's a connection, there's a there's unsaids. But then I was interviewing recently on my podcast, on the Super Creativity uh, podcast, a guy called Professor Roger Kneebone, who's one of the, the world's um, top trainers of surgeons. And so he works in, uh, I think it's Imperial College in London. And so his job is to train surgeons using different ways, the, the nutritional way you would train surgeons, but also using augmented reality, virtual reality and, and things like that. And he wrote a great book, which is called Expert. And he was describing like, when you get those real top teams in a surgery team, um, it's almost, there's a, there's a flow that's going on. It's like, almost like ballet. Everyone knows their job. Everyone knows what they're trying to do, but there's an, un, there's an unspoken things. In fact, there was a thing that he said with surgeons. Sometimes when surgeons getting to, to know a, a scrub nurse, for example, for the first time, and the surgeon will say, you know, um, give me what I need, not what I ask. So, you know, because <laughs> you know, <laughs> them, but a good nurse is going to actually know that's not really what he, he needs. You know, that's not the thing. And, 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 and so it's, it's that interplay. And, and I think that's great, um, these kind of high-performing teams. And, I, and I've seen it countless times, you know, when I worked in California and Silicon Valley with those top teams. A lot of the companies I, um, that bring me to work with them, companies like uh, Dell or UPS or, um, or Globant or uh, even McDonald's, you know, you know the, the, the big uh, food company, um, at those kind of top levels, you see that kind of going on. And you also see organizations when that's not happening. And that's often for a number of different reasons. But I think we've maybe all sensed it. If, if, you've, if you've worked for any length of time, you've been in organizations where you've kind of felt it. It's, it's a difficult thing to describe, but you know it when you feel it with a team. When everything's moving, it's not easy, but things are being, people are pushing, you know, pulling, there's, there's, there's interaction going on. And, you know, as we start to come out of COVID, uh, Andy Jassy, who's the, going to be taking over from Jeff Bezos at the end of the year and Amazon, said he really wants people to come back to physical spaces again, to offices again. Because he said, in, when it comes to innovation, we just don't riff the same way. Is when you, someone's in the in, in a you know doing Zoom. It's like you you there is a something about being close, being physically close. That our ideas are literally bumping into each other. Now it has to be done in a safe and secure way. But I'm actually quite excited because I feel just now what the last twelve months that we've gone through has been a time of really good productivity for many organisations because we've become more productive in our work. But it's not necessarily been a great time for creativity that, uh, because creativity needs a slightly different thing. That, that yeah that flow state that you talk about James you you bring it to life so well when you're talking about uh you know jazz and and ballet and and how it all just happens really and you just reminded me of 
something that happened last week when one of my teams said, but this is what you asked me to do. What, what do you mean? This is not what was in your head <laughs> uh, when we were doing some, uh, some creative work on our, on our brochure. And in my head, it was one thing, but the words weren't quite matching that. Yeah. So I really, it really resonates with me around, you know, that flow state and, and how we all anticipate what each other might need need yeah. to reach yeah. our OKRs or, our, or and there's, there's a if, if people are interested in this idea of flow is a gentleman called Stephen Kotler who actually I just interviewed him recently on the, on the super creativity podcast and uh, Stephen Kotler he actually runs something called the flow institute um, and they that's what they just research of companies and organizations what increases the chances of flow now they'll come at it from more of a an American more of a western standpoint if you go to Asia um, they have a different co conception. They have a something called ikigai. I don't yeah. know if you've heard that. You know, in in, in Japanese, uh, Japanese. A reason we, for being. A reason for being, like a reason for 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 living. And it's this combination, this crossover between your your profession, your vocation, um, your passions, like where all these things intersect with each other. And very very often, that ikigai, that sense of purpose, is when you are experiencing that sense of flow. And that will often be when you're doing something that is involved creating in some way, whether that's in business or in other, in other areas. Yeah, Ikigai is um, something that we use, something that Andy Lothian, who, who we both know, James, ah, actually yes. mentions. Uh, he's, he's hugely passionate about that and, um, and developed, you know, a lot of the insights work is based on Ikigai and his personal, his personal work. James, you've, you've talked about a misconception about the creative genius being a lone wolf and that really creativity is about collaborating. Um, how can leaders integrate creativity into their daily culture in a meaningful way? And, you know, my, my immediate thought on creativity is I'm not a creative person. So I, I would always, you know, proceed any conversation with, I'd love it to look like this, but I'm not creative. So don't go by me, but, you know, t tell us a bit about that. Cause I'm sure that's not the right way to think about it. Well, no, I mean, you'd be actually in the majority of people, the majority of people, about 60% of the population do not consider themselves to be creative. Um, it, it varies a little bit by region. In America, it's a little bit higher than that. It's more people consider themselves to be creative, especially in East Asia, China, Greater China, um, Japan, less people, maybe as low as 25% of people consider themselves to be creative. In the UK, where we're speaking from just now, it's going to be around 45% of people consider themselves to be creative if they're asked. So, so here's the thing. Um, I believe that we're all born with this unlimited creative potential. And the only proof that I need for this is if we spend time with a four-year-old or a five-year-old, give them some paints, give them some crayons, for example, watch as they create, they'll lose all track of time. And what psychologists call that sense of flow that we were just speaking about. Now, what happens is usually at that stage in what we call pre-conventional stage of learning, when they go to school, you they go into a more conventional you're they're taught the rules this is how it is this is how you do it you actually start to see it reflected in their artwork they go from drawing these kind of random things to drawing more physical structures houses for example um and then we go to school college business and all this is we're just basically told these are the rules this is how it has to be done and this is part of just growing up but as adults we need to move actually beyond that and we need to become what's called post-conventional where we're willing to use um, these signposts, the useful kind of signposts, these rules, but we're willing to challenge them and to, to break them as well. And so what's often happened is a sense of 
creativity, this sense of, and actually, if you really boil it down, it's a sense of curiosity, of asking questions. You know, spend a time with a child, four-year-old, five-year-old, why? Why, 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 why? They're curious all the time. If you go into a lot of larger organizations, especially more bureaucratic, that why the questioning, the curiosity has been knocked out of people for so long. Partly that's a function of management because the more you go up an organization, you're expected to have all the answers. So that the part of our brain, our muscle, that curiosity part gets a little bit weakened, a little bit flabby. So part of my job is to go into organizations and just teach them a number of tools and techniques for getting them being curious again asking questions, you know, whether that's because they need to be curious because they're integrating a new artificial intelligence system in something and they're trying to figure out how to do uh, some augmented coding or whether it's something com you know, in a completely different field. It's about getting them being curious and asking questions. So what I would say for organizations, if there may be not a sense of places that are really creative, what I would say is, um, actually Plato said it better. He said, what is valued in a place is cultivated there. If you value innovation, then you need to cultivate creativity because innovation is the, really is the catalyst for, uh, creativity is really the, the catalyst for innovation. Creativity and innovation are just different sides of the same coin. So creativity is when you bring new ideas to the mind. Innovation is when you bring new ideas to the world. But without creativity, there is no innovation. There are no new products, no new services in the world. So creativity is so core of that. But the problem is too many of us believe now that this idea that either we're not creative, and that's for a number of different reasons. One, the education, but the other one is the media. You know, the media loves this idea of the lone creative genius myth, this idea of the, you know, the singer on the stage with a spotlight on them or the CEO on the front cover of that business magazine. But as someone that's worked with some of the most creative people in the world, I would often, like when, I'm, when I was a manager, I would stand at the side of the stage watching as my artist performed with a spotlight. And if I looked to my left, I could see the tens of thousands of people in the audience enjoying the show. But if I looked to my right, I could see backstage and behind the scenes. Now, most audience members will only ever see the singer with the spotlight on them, but they will rarely see the 200 people backstage who are just as much a part of making a creative and successful and innovative show as a singer with a microphone in their hand. So we have to start getting over, and this is this idea that creativity is, that this idea that individual creative genius is actually quite a modern notion. It came around during the, uh, the Renaissance in the 1500s. But if you look at any of the great ancient civilizations, it actually, it was always believed that it wasn't the eye, the individual that was necessarily that kind of creative genius, but we were vessels for creative genius, ideas and inspiration depending on your beliefs, that, that inspiration and those ideas could flow through you because of a God, if you believe in God or gods or higher power or collective consciousness or the tribe or the community of which you're part, even places themselves can have their own creative genius. The Romans called it the genius loci. In Dundee, you have the V&A Museum, amazing museum. So if you've ever been in a space like that, or maybe in a beautiful, on the beach in British Ferry where you are, or you know, in a forest somewhere up on a hillside, and ideas have started coming to you, you've experienced what the Romans called the genius loci. So places themselves can have their own creative genius. It's not just about the individual being a creative genius. You know, that's, that's, that's really powerful to me around, you know, 
currently we're in this situation where we're all on Zoom and, and you know, you talked about how difficult that is to, to be creative and that's, I suppose, about environment. But I think it's also about individual, it's, it's difficult to have individual conversations in yeah. a team setting on Zoom. You know, normally if you're out socially, you and I will be chatting at the bar or, you know, in the coffee shop and, and the rest of the team will, will do the same. But now it's almost like this real focus on one or two people. Yeah. And, you know, I love the fact that you touched on the leaders are supposed to know everything because that's a very common theme in all the podcast guests I've had is the, the more humble the leader as they, as they grow their career better really and and saying things like I don't know and what do you think yeah. are two of the best questions but but James what what do you think are some of the best questions that leaders can ask their team either in the creativity space or the kind of purpose leader space is, is there any great ones that we can learn well the the, the um uh the management theorist Peter Drucker uh, once said the the biggest problems in management decisions come from not having the wrong answer, but asking the wrong questions. Um, so often what you find in organizations is really, it's come from them either not asking questions in a deep way or um, maybe asking the wrong types of questions. So I'll give you an you know, example. Um, when, it's often when you go into a, let's say an ideation or brainstorming session with your team, whether it's on Zoom or whatever the, the medium is, all too often, people rush into trying to find the solutions. Okay, we've got this problem. How do we solve that problem? But all the study shows, actually, what is much better to do is for you to spend the first 10 minutes of any brainstorming or ideation session just asking questions. Questions, questions, questions. Uh, Albert Einstein once said if he had an hour to solve a problem, he would spend the first 55 minutes thinking about what the question should be. Once you know what the real question was, you could solve the problem in about five minutes. So there's lots of different ways of asking questions. Um, you know, there's the Toyota five whys, it's like one style of question you can ask. Um, you can ask who, you can ask the what if questions. You can ask, um, actually this is a really good one uh, for a lot of family businesses. Uh, I was recently, before all COVID happened, I was spending quite a lot of time in uh, Brazil and uh, Lebanon. Uh, working with large family businesses. So these are multi, tens of, hundreds of millions of dollars kind of family businesses. And sometimes what the problem was, was that no one had asked the question to, let's say, the, the grandparents who maybe the chairman and then the parent who's maybe the CEO and then the grandchildren who are maybe the, the new management. What does success look like? What is success? What does that mean for you? And when you kind of get people, and I've facilitated this, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing job I get to do. The other, um, uh, two years ago, a client flew me to Cannes in the south of France just to spend a day with, he brought all 120 members of his family, this is quite a wealthy family, to uh, Cannes in the south of France. And we spent an entire day just talking, asking questions. And like, what does success look like? Okay, and what you'd often find is maybe, an older generation had one example of one conception of what success needs to look like, but the younger generation coming in and say, no, that's not what success is anymore. That's not what, and so you need to get these things out into the open. And um, so there's loads of different ways of asking questions. Um, if you're interested in different ways of asking questions, there's a, um, a great uh, a, 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 a author from MIT, whose name escapes me now, but he wrote this idea called catalytic questions. Um, and uh, sorry, I've, um, Hal Gregerson is the name, Professor Hal Gregerson. 
Uh, he's got a great book out, which is all about just asking better questions. So I, so I think, I think it's in an organization, you can almost feel it when I go into companies, like what are the ones that are feeling quite happy to be curious and asking questions? And also for leaders, and this is something I've just learned myself as a leader, is I need to have two mentors, almost. I need to have an, a mentor that's a bit older than me or that's more experienced than me, than me in the field that I'm in because they will tell me where the bodies are buried. Like these are the things to avoid. Don't do that. Don't make this mistake. But I also need a mentor that's younger than me to be kicking me up the backside. And, and like all my team are like in their 20s. And it's great because like a lot of the stuff I'm doing now as a keynote speaker, we're in, in, integrating a lot of gaming ideas from e-gaming. Dundee is obviously famous for the gaming industry as well. Yeah, for sure. And the whole live events, virtual and what I'm now working, which is hybrid events, is borrowing a lot from the gaming industry. And so now I'm starting to do hologram keynotes. So there's me from my little studio office here in Perthshire in the middle of Scotland, <laughs> getting projected onto a stage in Singapore or my hologram is and having a live kind of conversation. I'm never having to leave my, my country here. So um, it's fascinating, but it all kind of starts just by having that level of curiosity. Yeah, I love that. There's so much to unpack in that, James. I think the intergenerational experience is absolutely critical. We've got that in our team. Um, our team's all women at, at the moment, and we have young and, uh, let's say, more experienced women in the team. And when we work together, I think, is where the, the real fireworks happen. Yeah. And you learn so much, you yeah. know, about just some, some of the young people that are coming through in their careers now are just mind-blowing. I can't ever remember being smart, proactive, and uh, with lots of ideas when I was that age. But, but it's, it's great. I think now, one thing I'm, I'm so excited about especially you're just seeing more diversity come into the workforce as well. This is one of the, one of the things that we, I hope what we learned from the economic crash, like 2008, 2009, is frankly, you had lots of people in the room making decisions that looked like me. Um, and maybe went to the school, certain types of school, certain type of education. They've got a certain worldview. And, and this relates, and that was a problem of risk. That was, that was risk being badly managed because they didn't have enough diversity of views and of life experiences. But the same thing applies to creativity because even now, I still find it amazing that um, sometimes if I, if I talk to a company about, oh, they're, they're doing like brainstorming or ideation sessions and I ask them to describe what they look like um, and often it'll be something like, oh yeah, well, you know, we, we, go up, we, turn to the room, we turn up in the room, no one really knows what the challenge is. Okay, well, some people work really well like that Instant, you know, quick thinking. Other people like to think about things in advance. So you're going to cause those people a little bit of problem coming into that space. And then often when you come into those spaces, if it's a physical space, and even if it's a virtual space, you'll have one man, usually a man, holding the one whiteboard pen in the room. And it's his ideas that end up dominating the board. So there's loads of things we can do to just get more diversity, more ideas into the room, more life experiences. And sometimes it doesn't all have to come from the team. It can bring, mean bringing in partners, bringing in clients, um, bringing in, you know, other kind of stakeholders. Um, so you want to get that because it's, gonna, it's not going to cause a, a room that's necessarily going to have a lot of, um, uh, it's not going to be an easy room sometimes, but uh, your ideas will be more stress tested. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Some some brilliant ideas and actionable things that, that we can all take away from our conversation, James. I could speak to you for, for hours about this stuff. Um, you're a professional speaker, public speaker, and you run two podcasts yourself, one Speaker You, which is all about public speaking. What advice would you give to leaders on communicating with impact? It's obviously something that you do every day, but you know, there's lots of leaders out there who may not be who may not be confident to do it. Any advice around that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a huge area, um, you know, kind of public speaking. But and a lot of the clients that bring me in, they're either professional speakers or they're executives that have to um, use their have to have really good communication skills to land those larger deals. I mean, we've got pitches. Um, and one of the things I do notice a lot, and, and companies are like Bell in Canada, for example, or the, the big telecoms company, they'll bring me in to actually do uh, provide um, training on virtual selling. And I, although I'm not a sales expert, I do know about communication and communicating in a virtual space is different from communicating in person. And it's going to be different when we move to hybrid as well. So, you know, a classic example for that is when you go into often most of the time we're on these Zoom rooms like like this. But when I'm giving a, a presentation, a keynote, I will always be shooting from the basically the belly button up because there's something called the truth plane that when you come out, if you want people to very quickly trust you, you want to show your hands. You want to show that wide stance. If you look at any of the great communicators, they'll do that. The other thing that will often happen is. Um, sometimes it's like if you've ever gone to maybe uh, uh, you've gone and watched a movie and the actor in it has been a famous theatre actor and they've gone and moved to film and TV and it looks a bit hammy, a bit rubbish. <laughs> it looks everything's too big because that person's been used to being on a stage where you use your physicality different. Likewise, sometimes you'll see uh, TV and film actors try and move to the stage and it doesn't work either because they're much more about all the subtle movements in the face and the gestures and the hand and the little eye movements, which are great, but it doesn't translate past the fourth row in a, an auditorium. So I would say for a lot of communicators, they're still communicating as if they're in a boardroom, as they're in a physical space, a larger space with their body, with their language, with their voice, when actually for most of us now, we're communicating in a, in a slightly more intimate space. And so there's different techniques that you can do for that. But um, one key thing is around eye contact um, and obviously very simple thing. Most people have got their cameras. So like just now, as I'm speaking to you, even though my screen is below me, I'm actually looking right into the, into the lens of the camera uh, because I'm trying to make eye contact with you in that way. And it's weird. It feels strange for the first kind of times, but you will build more rapport with someone if you do that. And that's just from a, from a selling perspective on how to do that. So there's loads of things like that, uh, little tricks that you can use, um, how to quickly build. One of my clients is uh, in Canada is the, the um, law enforcement in Canada. And uh, so I've spoken with them many times in international law enforcement, because when they have to do interviews, interrogations or interviews, uh, it's very difficult if you're a police officer in Vancouver and your person that you're supposed to be interviewing is in a jail cell in Dubai. Because if your camera is just like we have just now quite close up, I'm missing as a police officer all those subtle little movements, all the things that a good officer, if someone as good as law enforcement, they'll pick up. So you'll just ask, can you move the camera further back 
so I can see this. So there's loads of little things like that. So it's going to be really interesting. And, and I would say some of the people that are doing this best, not from the corporate world, but from teachers, elementary, primary school and secondary school teachers, because they're at the front line of this. They're moving from having been in person to virtual and they're now going to hybrid as well, where some children will be in the room, others will be virtual. So some of the the, some of the coolest things I'm seeing just now about moving from what we call hybrid to what we call high flex in terms of online education, you know, around online communication is happening in the world of teaching. Um, so, and obviously Scotland's got a great history of, of excellent kind of education. Yeah, just so interesting, James, about how, you know, teachers in particular have had a really hard time, haven't they? Not only did yeah. they have to teach my kids, you know, our kids when during the pandemic they had their own at home as well as having to learn all this online stuff so um I would never have thought of, of actually looking at teachers in that way but you're absolutely right they've really taken the steepest learning curve I suppose about the online yeah. world um listen James that's been fascinating the, the final question before we know to get to know the real James uh, so we know you're a public speaker we know you're out you you, you know you're a business leader you're, you're creative but how would your friends describe you, James? What do you, what do you like to do in your spare oh. time? And how do your friends describe you? I don't know. I, I, you'd have to ask them. I wouldn't want to put forward what their opinion might be of <laughs> me. It depends how long they've known me. But, um, I mean, you and I are very fortunate. We both live in Scotland. Uh, one of the like most amazing you know, small countries in the world. And so for me on my doorstep is we've got mountains and locks. And so I'm a big cyclist. And so I love cycling. You've got amazing places, uh, great walking around where we are. So for me, that's my way of kind of, uh, you know, just kind of chilling out, kind of relaxing is kind of getting, I obviously love to travel globally, that's not so possible just now. So I'm getting to a chance to explore my own country for a little bit more now as well. And um, uh, I think it was uh, Nietzsche said, no, no, good, no good idea ever came from something that didn't involve walking or something <laughs> like that. So usually you'll get your best ideas when you're out walking. And there's, there's actually reasons for that in terms of color psychology. But, um, but so I love being outside, being in, in nature. I think it's, uh, it's one of the great things about where we live. Brilliant. James, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to follow your continued successful career with keen interest and we'll, we'll put some resources into the podcast to make sure others can do that too. James, thank you so much. Thank you so much.